podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown with me, Jack Elderton, and Callum Goodall, who is back at last. Blame him. That's why the episode's late. It's nothing to do with me. It's not my <laughs> fault at all. He's back from, from Tisno in Croatia. Uh, there, were, uh, there was a lot of music I hear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was... like an old man in the intro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it was good. Um, it was really nice. The weather I was worried about, I think I spoke to you about that before I went. Um, but yeah, I, I was fine. Um, it was super hot, but we were right on the beach. Uh, yeah, lots of music, uh, lots of dancing, um, The which was fun every night until the final night when we had to check out by 10am. And because of the weather, they had to delay all of the set times and the music went until 7.30am. So uh, that was less easy, but <laughs> but it was still fun. Was there one particularly heavy day when you uh, when you checked your phone and found out that West Ham had beaten Brighton <laughs> by 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 three goals to one as well? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty unreal. I was uh, I'd just come back from the beach and I'd been trying to keep tabs of it on my phone, but my phone had died when I was at the beach, and I was kind of like, oh, you know what? It's Brighton. Like, I don't want to harsh my bars. I'm having such a nice day. Like, I'm about to go out and, and listen to one of my favorite DJs. And then I got in the shower. I was like, sod it. I'll just check the score. And I was like, oh, my days, we're winning 1 0. Let me get the radio on. I was like, right, in the shower. And then I was like, right, I had to delay the, the time of when we were going to go out. So, uh, but when we, when we got to, so three goes up. I was like, right, yeah. I think, I think even we would struggle at the, given how we're playing to to mess this one up. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I guess the you, icing on you, the cake. Sorry, sorry. Can I just clarify? You West Ham three goals in the lead under David Moyes decided it was going to be fine. I, I, I think we've been doing a podcast the whole time. Do you not remember that that, that time in our lives where we had extremely high levels of stress <laughs> to do with yeah. three 0 leads? Yeah, maybe it was the sun that got to me. Um, I was potentially slightly delirious. <laughs> so I, I, I won't ask you what your take was immediately listening to it in the shower in T-Snow <laughs> on the radio, uh, but watching it back, coming back on the plane from Croatia, um, how did you how did you feel? What did you make of it? Yeah, unreal. Unreal performance. Um, it's so bizarre. Like, at the start of the season, and I think it seems silly looking back now, but our predictions were that it might be a bit of a rocky start to the season with late arrivals and uh, kind of a pretty bad pre-season, I would say. I don't think that's unfair considering the shellacking we got off Leverkusen. Um, and I think the general mood was was pretty low. In fact, I think we were actually the least optimistic fans in the league, right? There was a study that went around. Um, and here we are yeah, with beat Chelsea. Yeah, we, we beat Brighton. Um, and yeah, a fairly decent display against Bournemouth. So, yeah, bizarre, but I, I was chuffed. I think we all know the curse, the Brighton curse, and I think probably even more scared now than, than we have been in the past because De has been doing such crazy things there. Um, and yeah, I think we've we've just gone right back to Moyes' ball, if that's what we want to dub it. Um, but I'm quite content with us becoming the villains of the Premier League again because we're playing football the wrong way, apparently. And I'm going to take great pride and enjoyment in that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we're meant to do under Dave Moyes? It certainly feels like that. I mean, to me, coming back to the start, it's like, oh my God, thank God we're back. This is the, this is what we're meant to do. And we, we, we've spoken about that on the first two pods. And, uh, you know, we ended last week's pod saying we think the breakdown, the true breakdown, the real breakdown, <laughs> the honest West Ham breakdown was coming back. But no, I mean, 
in many ways, actually, come to think of it, this style, the most clear crystallization of this perfect David Moy style is pretty well suited to Roberto De Zerbi, isn't it? In terms of if you could pick a manager who's going to create a bunch of space in behind, be really aggressive on the ball. Um, yeah, Brian are kind of kind of that team, no? I mean, they created huge amounts of space for us on the counter. And um, it sounds simple. Is it as simple as when a team wants to bait the press? If you just don't press, you might be able to find a way through them? Yeah, I think that's it. I think in my notes, I've one of the headlines I've put is the art of not pressing. And I think <laughs> on this on on this uh, podcast, I've I've often spoken about my frustration at times against certain opposition with our lack of pressing under David Moyes and the sort of crazy PPDA numbers that we've we've put up uh, in terms of our sort of passivity. But I think against a side like Brighton. I think it is really the only solution because they can carve you open so easily. Like they are so effective at creating multiple passing angles. And as soon as one player presses out, they know that they can play around you. So I think, and we've, we've tried to press them before and other teams have tried to press them before and have, and have been blown away. And I think that was almost the issue um, last season. I think when we, we tried to sort of switch it up a bit and do something a bit different and, and ultimately it's kind of been proven in this result that what we should have done is just gone back to basics and stuck to our guns with a few little tactical tweaks, I would say, which we'll come on to uh, that paid off really well. Um, but yeah, just sitting in, letting them have the ball and sort of doing what we're good at in inviting them to cross the ball a lot, which they did and, and clear the box and a few um, monstrous individual performances, particularly from Zuma and Ariola, uh, were uh, a huge help. And I think, um, I suppose... Such a system kind of depends on those individual performances because without them, the system kind of falls apart around them. If you didn't have Zuma and that sort of form heading the ball away, then then you might get punished in the box a bit more frequently. And if you don't have a keeper that can pull off saves like Ariola has been for this whole season so far, actually, he's had been in great form um, for the whole start of this season. You need to rely on your keeper because this style of football, you are going to concede chances. That's, that's part of the MO. Like you're, ha- you're happy to concede chances basically. And you're banking on the fact that your defense are going to, are going to do the job. And, and they did against Brighton and it, and it was great to see. Yeah. I think the game is probably quite a good example uh, of how you want to play is much more important than the system, you know, the, the numbers, the system that you line up in, whether that's a four, two, three, one, a four, four, two, four, and four, one, you know, whatever it may be, because actually last season, I think, you know, we played four, one, four, one against Brighton then, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and the difference with this one and that one was that then we wanted to press with the two number eights. This time we didn't. And it made mm-hmm. a huge, huge difference to the success um, of the system. And one of the players who was incredibly important um, in that, in this game, was was James Ward-Prowse having a, another really, really good game in the middle, no? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've, I must admit, I was... Um... I was kind of non nonplussed about the arrival of Ward Price. I thought it was a good signing. He's a good Premier League player, but kind of awkward fit, maybe, or or oh, it's not a, a, as sort of mind blowing a signing as I would have hoped for. Given that we've got this windfall of 105 million to really bolster our midfield, and we've kind of just surprised the sort of vanilla Premier League midfielder. Um, but yeah, he's he's made me my words and, and and fair play. Like what three goal contributions in three games and out of possession, he's arguably been even more important than than those three goal contributions. Um, particularly against Brighton in the in the way that we sort of force those um, possession regains, but 
force seems wrong if that makes sense because none of it was forced it was all completely intentional but it was him yeah I think that's it yeah Um, and then when we did have the ball it was him more than anyone really that we relied on to spark those counter-attacks and I think that sort of weight of pass and the sort of um, the the speed in which he is able to get the ball and then execute the pass in a moment of seconds I think is is really crucial to uh, how we are going to operate as a team moving forward I think Um, and, and it shouldn't be understated yeah, well, I remember saying last season, I think it was the Bournemouth game, we won, was it 4-0 uh, uh, away at Bournemouth? I remember saying then about Lucas Paqueta, that, you know, thank God he's finally worked out that all he needs to do is lump the ball in behind. <laughs> you know, that is such a key element of, of being yeah. successful on the counter when you're playing this way. You know, he just needs to pick up the loose, you know, the bits and pieces of Mikel Antonio and just lump it over the top towards Jared Bowen if he can. And um, it took Packer to quite a long time to get to grips with that. Well, Prowse is just like, and this is an argument pro, you know, what David Moyes has been saying about getting Premier League players through the door. And he said it after the game is that with some players you need that they might take some time to kind of understand how the league works, understand how different teams want to play, what it's like going to different places, how the atmosphere might affect that. Someone who's been playing in the Premier League the whole time immediately understands all of that. And actually, James Wood Prowse, knowing the league and also probably knowing David Moyes and West Ham, of course, he's still getting used to, you know, Moyes said it, he's still getting used to us and we're still getting used to him. But he does understand the basics to some degree already, having played against it, knowing exactly how we want to play. And so he's come in, knows, yeah, if I can bait a couple of passes and, and nick the ball and then just knock it in behind for Antonio, he's going to cause centre-backs problems. And you see that with the first goal. And actually what's really nice about that goal is, is, is not only that he does the sort of rice job of baiting the right pass, nicking the ball and then playing it in behind, but also he... he makes up all of that yardage and supports yep. the the attack, just gets himself into the box. And, and that upside is going to be a big, big part of what he offers to us. And I've, I've, I've got to admit as well, I, I'm, I'm with you. I kind of viewed it as a, yeah, sure, good player. It's going to offer a lot of upside, but not entirely sure where he's going to fit into the midfield. And he's done a much better job of defending in a low block, particularly when he's playing as, as more of an eight than a six than I, than I thought he would. Um, what I would say is that the game does change a little bit in the second half, and that that is forced by the way that Brighton shifted the, their build up. So in the in the first half, we were very successful defending against their two three five. They wanted to build up. You know, I spoke about it on Hamletics, which is a show I do for Hammers Chat, um, and said that I kind of look at their their build up shape where they get all those players centrally, the centre backs, the two the two number six, two number eights, whatever, and, the, and then the what are effectively situational tens when this game it's Welbeck and Ferguson previously it's been Welbeck and McAllister or whoever um really narrow tight to each other um in the central areas and then they have kind of four wide players and the two fullbacks and the two two wingers and the wingers definitely get to exploit the space in behind because of the movement of the of the strikers in the in the system I was talking about that calling that the sort of sweet wrapper shape because of the way that it doesn't they don't line up exactly as like a rectangle that the, the two midfielders are really tight to each other and the center backs and the and the tens are a little bit further apart um and you could see that they wanted to build up like that in the first half but they kind of got because they had no engagement they got got towards halfway and then Milner and Stephen Yan were like well okay well we're gonna come in now it's <laughs> the two three five shape and and this is how we're gonna attack against the the low block struggled with that I thought Ward Prowse was excellent um, against that and then second half they went more to kind of a four one five. The the fullback stayed wider. Um they kept Gilmore quite isolated in the middle and Gross pushed up onto that last line. 
as he was doing in, in, in the, in the first half when being forced into the, well, when they were entering that two, three, five shape, but they just decreased the kind of central support, um, for Gilmore. And that, that forced us to get a little bit wider. And we ended up playing more kind of a four, five, one rather than the four, one, four, one that we saw in the first half. Those are my only questions still about Ward Prowse. I think we spoke about it after the, uh, after the Chelsea game and the pod after the Chelsea game talking about, how he defends really deep when he's the middle player or when in situations when he's forced to be the middle player because someone else has to step out or whatever. And in the second half, we see him more as the central player with Alvarez shifted to the left. So he can kind of do more of that work that maybe requires a little bit greater acceleration, shall we say, to be able to get out to the wide spaces quickly, which Ward Prowse might not have. You see Ward Prowse come into the middle. He wasn't bad, but he just had much less you lost that upside that we got in the first half from, from where he was playing in, in the first half. So that's one of the things that's maybe interesting going forward and thinking about Brian's system, you know, I was just talking there about the, the, the two, three, five. I need to ask you, it's a tactical question. Roberto De Serbi's got a lot of praise so far um, it, from kind of all outlets really for what he's done in the Prem. And I think he, he deserves that. Absolutely. He's had a really big impact on the Prem so far and done a really good job at Brighton. Moyes gave him a, a, a load of praise after the game saying he's giving all the managers a massive headache because no one really knows mm. what to, what to do against them. Um, James Milner becoming <laughs> the right back at Brighton. I'm all for the deserve praise, but to me that just seems like madness. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre, isn't it? I think it was before the game, it, I kind of had it in my head that if he was going to play there, then that would be where we exploit. Because in Mikel Antonio, you've got a striker who loves to drift out into that channel. And in, in a foot race, there's only going to be one winner. And Antonio has lost a lot of his base anyway. So Yeah, but, um, but also, I mean, I was, I've was i been trying now to watch the, the, the teams we come up against, like, the, you know, the week before or the two weeks before, get a sense of what they're doing, kind of what phase they're in, how they're looking to play, you know, and also maybe bringing knowledge up to date with who's injured and stuff because you know teams yeah. have to change as a result of that Melda played there against Wolves they were sh- shit in the first half mm. you know I know they won that game quite comfortably but the amount of chances Wolves had with Nori just driving up that side or Nunes getting down that side you know, a huge amount of chances just carrying the ball past Pascal Gross and James Milner because they just cannot defend once they're turned yeah. um to me, yeah, I don't know. A, a rest defense two three five, where you lose Caicedo, and then you're left with one side of the pitch where you've got Gross ahead, Milner, Billy Gilmore, and Adam Webster. Yeah. I don't know about you, Cal, but that seems quite weak. I think it's yeah. I, I think this will have well, it should have been a real eye opener for Deserbi. I think the thing with Deserbi and and like you've said, I I mean I absolutely admire the guy. I think the football that he plays is so exciting to watch. And I think there is potentially a sort of I don't want to call it naivety because I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe dogmatism where it's like he's just so committed to this sort of DNA, his style of football that it's his way or the highway almost. But then it's kind of I mean not to quote Limmy, but but at what cost? Uh, <laughs> Please do quote Limmy. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what the solution is. I, I think not only do you leave a huge gap in, in both wide channels, I think for us it was easy to exploit because it kind of suits how we want to play anyway. Um, it, the whole sort of ping it out to Antonio, he's so good at pinning centre-backs. So sort of him shouldering into the centre-half uh, in Webster and then laying it back off 
to one of Pakatar, Ward Prowse, whoever, Bowen, whoever was there at the time, forcing the fullback to then engage and then all the, all the other centre-backs to come in centrally and engage and create that real compactness between the two centre-backs. It creates an even bigger space on the, on the other side to, to attack. And I mean, two of our goals came from that, right? It's one in, um, in Ward Prowse, who's like you said, covers that ground. And, and then again for the Bowen goal, which by the way, what's a goal? Yeah, the touch and goal, finish yeah. was just delightful. Um, and that was, I mean, the second one was potentially even more alarming because Ben Rama slowed down the whole transition as he often does um, and was still able to hit the hit the space regardless. So, I mean, that says a lot about the recovery pace or, or lack thereof in this Brighton back line, which I think is potentially, I mean, if you're going to play a high line, the recovery pace is something you absolutely need. And in the, in the centre-back pairing of Webster and Dunk and then Milner as, as your right-back, it's not really, apart from Esther Pinyan, you've not got much space. And then even Esther Pinyan's basically playing as a left-winger. So he, exactly. you're asking him to cover the entire length of the pitch. Um, and I think, You know, he's the player that triggers out of that 2-3-5 when they need an option. You know, like exactly. almost in the way that we see... Ben White last season in Arsenal's three two five. You know, okay, we're struggling. We need an option, someone to go around on the outside. I'll leave. Yeah, yep. you know, Stupinian's that guy at Brighton who's leaving the yep. rest defence unit, which does genuinely leave it as Gilmore, Milner, Dunk, Webster. Yeah, it's worrying. it's worrying. I, I like I say, I don't know what the solutions would be. I guess you could look at maybe doing a, a three two five so that you've got a little bit more cover and, and your centre-backs are not as spread um, yeah. rather than having the full the two centre-backs spreading having to cover the whole of that back in rest yeah. at least in three the centre-backs can kind of naturally be spread out and cover it anyway so you've got a bit more coverage which is what um, Liverpool have, you know ended up doing with, with Robertson right which kind of limits yeah. his impact going forward but because they were encountering so many situations where Van Dyke was just like an island on his own defending yeah. and, and looking like a much worse player. They're kind of forced to to, to mm. move Robertson back to try and get that upside that they're getting from Alexander-Arnold. And I suppose the only other alternative, and I don't, I don't even know if he's still there, he seems to be in, in the weeds a bit, but what happened to Tarek Lamptey? I mean, if you want some recovery yeah. pace, he, he could at least help solve that issue in, in an athletic way. I mean, whether... Zerbi looks at him and just thinks he doesn't have the tactical nous to to fulfil the sort of level of detail that that Deserby's tactics demand is another question. But I think if they continue to um, persevere with this Milner experiment at right back, particularly with Gross ahead of him as well, uh, anyone with a half half speedy left winger is going to be able to exploit that. I would think. Yeah, I mean, even just like lastly on this, you know, he talks about Estupinian and being kind of like having so much responsibility in that rest defence unit for, for being the guy that's got the athleticism athleticism to get back. And early in the game, we saw Antonio get down the the left, really early in the game, get down the left side. And it's a stupid young coming all the way back from attacking it on the left wing, all the way across into the right back position. Mm. He's the guy that eventually stopped Antonio on that first really dangerous counter-attack. So yeah, some concerns for Brighton in terms of the way that they're defending, especially now, I suppose, without Moises Kaiseido, without that elite sort of player to, to, to cover you in uh, in defensive situations, defending against counter-attacks. Um, but it's not a Brighton podcast. It's a West Ham podcast. And um, there is something that we should talk about that maybe has greater effects across the rest of this season for West Ham. We've talked about doing really well against this Brighton team, exposing the obvious weaknesses and making the most of, of what we can do as a team and how we've been focusing on our strengths over the last few weeks. Um, 
I would suggest that maybe one of our weaknesses defensively has been that when we have transitioned from our 4-2-3-1 standard shape over the last few seasons into a 5-4-1 defensively, we've often used the left winger, even at the start of this season. So even, uh, um, I think it's the Chelsea, recent as the Chelsea game, I think we were talking about Saeed Benrahma playing as a situational left wing back. You know, this is something that's happened consistently under David Moyes is the usage of the left winger dropping in, making a back five, and then the left back becoming a left centre back in in low block situations. So Cresswell's done that a lot. Um, and we've seen Emerson do it a few times as well now. And I think if there's ever been a weakness in that is that you end up with a winger who's maybe not a natural 1v1 defender having to defend 1v1s. And you often end up with a fullback who's maybe not natural at defending crosses the back post in the air against strikers um forced into those situations and also forced into a into a defensive position that maybe they're not most comfortable in um and i suppose it also has knock-on effects for the way that you attack because if your left winger is always you know ending up so deep when you're defending in the left wing back zone then there's really um it's really difficult to connect that player back up with your striker when you're trying to get forward then on the counter-attack. And one of the big changes we saw in that situational 5-4-1 low block that's been around for virtually all of Moyes' most recent tenure at West Ham was that instead of the left winger becoming the, the left wing back, we see Pakita start the game on the on the left and then side Ben Rama comes on um, when Thomas Suchik goes off injured with a with a head, head injury. Instead of the left winger in both of those cases, whether it's Pakita or, or Ben Rama uh, becoming a left wing back, we actually see Edson Alvarez playing in a 4-1-4-1 shape rather than a 4-2-3-1. Um, a much more compact 4-1-4-1 mind, you know, complaining a lot about 4-1-4-1 last season and the gaps between the lines. This time it was a very compact 4-1-4-1. And we see Alvarez dropping in to be a central centre-back when Brighton um, shifted from their their usual last line abandonment, both strikers or the striker and the number 10 stepping away from the last line to create the space for the wingers. When they shifted away from that and a striker went back into that sort of natural number nine space, often Evan Ferguson, Alvarez went with uh, and occupied that space between the centre-backs and then you get the full-backs moving out into the win-back positions, and you get a 5-4-1, which I would potentially suggest has everyone in a position that suits them. Um, <laughs> and I think that's quite exciting in terms of um, options going forward. And if there's anything to draw out of the game, if there's maybe the biggest thing to draw out of the game is how good a job Alvarez did in his first game in the Premier League, uh, first start in the Premier League, at picking the moment when to drop into the back line and when to step out of the back line. Almost perfect, really, until very late in the game when he's not really playing that position anymore. When we're in that more of that four-five-one shape, and he was knackered after doing a few sprints <laughs> to support counterattacks, and then a few sprints back into defence, and then he started to make some rash decisions positionally, and he makes a, a slightly rash decision that leads to Brighton's uh, consolation goal through through Pascal Gross. But particularly focusing on the first half and his role in, as that number six, he was exceptional, and um, and it's maybe a little bit exciting in terms of what West Ham can do going forwards. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. And I I loved it from both an individual perspective in terms of, okay, yeah, this is going to be a good signing. We've got a really good player here. But also as a tactical solution that I maybe didn't necessarily think Moyes had in his wheelhouse. Um, I think to have spotted... But we've often criticised Moyes for kind of being, I don't know, a bit of a one-track mind or when he has tried things, they often haven't worked and he's reverted back to his his, his um, preferred methodologies or whatever. Um, but I think 
if you contrast this performance to how we approached the previous Brighton game and and the way we were carved open um, and the weaknesses that we had there and, and the changes we've adopted in in this lineup, um, we've we've both covered the weaknesses that were there and that would be like you say any time Cresswell played at left centre back and had to defend the far post and getting caught under it and often that being a, a sort of thing for oppositions to target because it was a, it was a clear weakness but also sort of the impotency almost of us on the counter last season um, despite having been a very effective counter-attacking side previously because one of our biggest outlets was way too deep to actually have any real influence in terms of carrying the ball up the pitch or if we did get them on the ball they had way too much to do to carry it all the way up the pitch if it was Ben Rama picking up the ball in, in the defensive third and then expecting him to spearhead a charge on his own um, I think now we have Emerson at left wing back instead of Ben Rama who as we know Emerson probably maybe maybe more suited to being a left wing back than a than a left back really because it covers up some of his defensive frailties and allows him the license to get forward um whilst also allowing someone like Ben Rama to pick up the ball in more advanced areas like if the ball was previously landing at Ben Rama's feet and he had no one really bar one or two players to give it to it's now landing at Emerson's feet and he's got Ben Rama plus the other two players that were always already there to give it to so we can sort of commit more men who are better suited to charging a counter uh, now because we've got Alvarez in there. And then on the flip side, you've also got Alvarez who is far more suited to helping to defend a box than Aaron Cresswell ever was <laughs> because he's bloody brilliant in the air. Positionally, probably more aware, I would say, at least in a centre-back area because he has experience of playing as a centre-back, whereas Cresswell has always been a left-back and, and was asked to do a lot in those central areas. So I think all in, it's, it's a real win both in and out of possession and um yeah I think it was really impressive the way that Alvarez handled himself throughout the game I think for a first Premier League start Brighton away is a pretty tricky game as far as things go especially playing in that position I think arguably the number six position against Brighton is probably the difficult most difficult position to play because Brighton are a team that love to get in through the half spaces their whole tactic is about opening up the half space channels receiving their turning towards goal and then looking at the over overlaps from the likes of Ferguson from Welbeck from Mitoma from Solly March and the sort of spatial awareness scanning decision-making that it requires for number six to be able to handle that without really letting anyone get in behind for the vast majority of the game is is incredible. Um, and when he dropped into that back five, it meant that we kind of matched up to their front five because we had the three centre-backs and the wing-backs covering one of each player in that attacking five, which meant it was really difficult for, the, for them to get into the spaces that they've been so good at getting into previously so I thought yeah it was just a massive stroke so importantly all dealing with players that they would naturally like be confident or you know comfortable defending against you know you don't end up with like side Ben Rama versus Solly March or Jared Bone versus Kaoru Matoma you know you you have a your fullbacks go 1v1 against the wingers and yeah. your centre backs yeah. get to deal with the the, the strikers or, or or like a number ten that's you know so in this case it's Gross who's joining the the front line so Gross and Ogbonna you have Ferguson and and Alvarez and and Welbeck and and Zuma that makes sense it yeah. makes sense across the back line you don't have a clear mismatch that's exploitable in, yeah. in your back line hundred percent and I think. I mean, yeah, we're going to get bogged down on this and we'll move on. But I think I just wanted to give a special mention to 
Paqueta and Bowen as well, who I think sort of on either side functioned really well in sort of dropping into cut. I, I sort of had it as an analogy in my head of like a sliding door. Like if they, if Brighton wanted to walk through the door to get through that side, then either Paqueta or Bowen, depending on which side it would be in, would drop in and slide across with the rest of the midfield to sort of slide the door, block the pathway and then force them to pass it over to the other centre-back. And then Alvarez would see that and then he'd, shout and then the others whether it's Pacatero Bowen on the other side would then drop in and slide across and the door would just continually block and I think it stopped them entering essentially uh, the final third on on a number of occasions and it was just a well-marshaled midfield display um, and yeah I think Paqueta and Bowen who potentially I wouldn't have expected to have put in such good shifts off the ball um, were, were really influential. If we're doing shout-outs, I'm going to have to do a few. Mikel Antonio, oh my God. The, <laughs> what a guy. I'm sorry. Like, the whole thing falls apart if Mickey isn't doing that job at the top of yep. the pitch. Yep. And how he's still going as a lone striker, 33, what? Had so many injuries in his career, come all the way through from, from non-league football. What a incredible player. Um, to be able to still be producing performances like this at the top, top level um, against, you know, he made uh, Webster look like a bad defender. Webster's <laughs> a good centre-back yeah. and he made him look silly in the game. So super impressive from him. And another player, you know, thinking about injuries and coming towards the end of their career, Angelo Bonner just slotted in low block, no bother. Easy for me. I thought it was a strong performance from Ogbonna. I thought Antonio was very good. And coming off the bench, someone that we have given quite a bit of flack over the last you know, few seasons, Sai Ben Rama was just great. He had a fantastic mm-hmm. performance off the bench. And um, not being forced into being a left, left wing back definitely helped. You know, Being in that position where yeah. he can <laughs> uh, operate from higher up the pitch, get closer on counter-attacks, be more impactful going forward, have a little bit more time, have a little bit more space, um, definitely helped him. Lots of people deserving of shouts. I'm sure I've, I've, we've missed players. I'm sure we haven't spoken about everyone, but it was an incredible performance all around. We've got something big to talk about, though. So we're trying to cut the Brighton chat <laughs> down into into just over half the pod because a certain someone has turned up at West Ham. Um, and I th- I'm just going to take a back seat because I feel like this is someone you've been shouting about for a little while now cal uh, <laughs> mohammed kudus is a west ham united player yeah man i can't quite believe it i really can't quite believe it um i think i've spoken about him on the pod on multiple occasions i'm pretty sure and i'm, I'm sure we joked about um particularly in reference to the 4231 shape us needing a number 10 that is capable of running beyond the striker um and sort of carrying that ball forward particularly even more so in the context of an Antonio who if we're going to be going long to him and we want someone to receive the the layoff and carry the ball forward Kudus is is more than capable of being that guy but he that's that's also simplifying the impact that I think he could have on this team um I don't expect him to just walk into the starting 11 um but I I don't think I would expect many players under David Moyes to do that uh, to be honest I think Moyes likes to bed people in but I think he is the sort of player that the bedding in process 
might not take that long because I think <laughs> I think when given his opportunity, he will he will snatch at it and he will make it very difficult for David Moyes not to not to try and find a place for him in that team. Um, I think with regards to where he fits, I think this is one of the the beauties of Kudus and also probably one of the main reasons we signed him, given Moyes' preference for players that can play in more than one position. But I could see a world in which Kudus could easily play right wing and number 10, which I, I would say are his two best positions. Um, he's coming in off that right flank. I think he's very dangerous. I think he's probably more dangerous in central areas because he's got sort of very good body feint and he's very good controlling the ball in tight areas and he takes very neat small touches which allows him to wriggle out of pressure very easily which I think is going to be really good for us um he's also played fantastically well for Ajax on a number of occasions as a number nine um whether he could do the Antonio role if we're going to continue to play in this way I am not sure I have seen enough of him yet as an outlet. I think he's much more better receiving the ball to feet rather than receiving long balls to his chest and sort of rolling defenders, um, which is why I say that he was probably better off as the receiver off of an Antonio knockdown um, because with the ball at his feet, he's exceptional. Um, he has electric pace. So in terms of just carrying us up the pitch, almost in a Jesse Lingard-esque fashion in that season prior where he just glides past players, I think that pace combined with his trickery and, and athleticism is a real, real asset for us um, and then in front of goal he's just brilliant I mean th- his ability to find the corner is 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 gonna just be fantastic for for all of us to watch um, and I also think um, he offers us something different in a number of areas often since Moyes has been here really we've we've watched wingers play on their opposite side obviously you've got a left footer in Jared Bowen out on the right and a, and a right footer in Ben Rama out on the left um, and Kudus I think could potentially play on the left wing as a sort of uh, touchline hugger, if that makes sense. Someone who is given his left, his strong left foot, although he's, he's fairly ambidextrous, um, he would be able to sort of take the fullback on the outside and, and drive us towards the byline in a way that we've often criticise Ben Rama for not doing enough of, if that makes sense. Like Ben Rama always prefers to cut into his stronger right foot, which which completely makes sense. Um, but it does on occasion stifle our counter-attacks because he's constantly looking to sort of slow the move down a bit to get it onto his stronger foot and cut inside. And yes, we saw him get an assist by doing that for Bowen against Brighton. But I think on other occasions, it has just stopped counters in their in their tracks because it allows the defence to get back into position where if it's Kudus carrying on the left side, he's going to go all the way until the byline and, and chances are um, he's going to be able to pick out a cutback across the box for a late arriving Ward-Prowse if, if it's him or whether it's a Suchek, whether it's a Bowen who's covered the ground whether Antonio's got back into central spaces. So I think it's just going to be really exciting. And then I think one of the other things that I think potentially is most exciting, um, because one of the things I think that maybe will become a concern, and I guess we'll see it against Luton, is yes, the counter-attacking system is fantastic and works incredibly well against teams that are going to want to have a lot of possession and we're happy to give a lot of possession. When we come up against a team like Luton, do we have the plan B and do we have the ability to break down a low block and a team that are going to want to sit off and do what we did against Brighton essentially. And oftentimes when we've been in that position, we've struggled. And I think it was part, a lot of the reason that we struggled last season because we, a lot of teams just wouldn't let us counter. Um, And I think bringing in a player with Kudus who has all the sort of vision and execution to play line breaking passes. Um, if you have the players like Pakatar around him as well, I think 
those are probably going to be the keys to unlocking those low blocks. And I think now that we've added to the squad, we're probably more prepared than we have been since Moyes arrived for his second spell in charge to to sort of really have a crack at those low blocks, whether it's threading balls into sort of an on-running Jared Bowen or whether it's having someone like Kudus just taking a shot from range. Um, I think, yeah, it'll be really exciting to see and, and I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about us signing him. I think it's a real statement of intent um, and considering the teams he was linked to um, and, and turned down to be here, I think it's a really, really promising signing. Yeah, I mean, just on the on the on the last bit you were talking about there against low blocks is is that when Mikel Antonio maybe could get the rest that he needs and and you yeah. could bring could have seen either on the right with Bowen going up front. I mean, even thinking yeah, could possibly play as a false nine, um, mm-hmm. and and you can probably get could have scored Prowse, Packeter, Bowen, and maybe even Ben Rama into the same team. Then um, yeah. players who are perhaps a little bit more capable of breaking a low block down than than your Thomas Suchek's and, and Mikel Antonio's. But you've got to be careful, you know, because ultimately the teams that play that way, their upside is probably going to be set pieces um, and counters themselves. And then you want Thomas Suchek in the team. You want Mikel Antonio in the team to be able to defend those set pieces. So it's a, it's a difficult blend. I do really like that he's in the squad, though. He gives us so many more options. And I think, like you say, if we're going to play this way, the issues we had before were breaking down these kinds of teams, teams like Luton. This weekend, Friday is going to be so interesting. It's going to be so, so interesting. It's going to tell us so much about what the season's going to be like. Um, but yeah, what an addition. What a fantastic addition. And if I think about, you know, you talked about his ball carrying and the potential for him to play on either flanks. His Ball carrying through the middle could be just so destructive for our position mm-hmm. teams. It's, just, it's such a destructive thing to have. I mean, even I was you know talking again about that Wolves Brighton game. Just watching Nunes, who hasn't had the smoothest of starts at Wolves, and but is now looking like he might get his move to Man City, given the Packeter deal f- fell through. Having someone who can just glide through the middle of the pitch is so useful. And Nunes is fantastic at it. But Kudus, the speed he's got when he's doing yeah. it to go past one, two, three, and then suddenly you've exposed the back line. And if you've got players who can get up and support that, which I think we have, um, can be massively impactful. And the only other thing I'd say talking about his potential for him to play on the left, which is something that a lot of fans have been talking about because there's a big question of, you know, where the hell does he fit in to the starting 11, which maybe is a bit of a misnomer anyway, because it's not always the case that everyone's fit. In, In fact, it's pretty rare that everyone's fit. Yeah. So there's always going to be a slot and you move things around um, because people get injured and because you need to rest people. And we've got a lot of games, Europa League, you know, probably I imagine like with a lot of new signings of this, Europa League will probably be his first real stage to start and, and be able to show what he can do. But when you talk about him playing on the left and the flow of counterattacks, the speed that gets up to support on the left through Bowen and Antonio, if you're going to the byline is great to be able to play back into those players. And if they can draw the whole defensive line back, then you've got your Thomas Suchik arriving or your Ward-Prowse arriving or your Packeter arriving on the edge of the box. So the options open to a left winger on the counter-attack if they're driving down the outside are actually really quite strong. Um, so that would be something that's very interesting to see. Briefly talking about how he could you know, star in Europe to begin with, the three four one two that we've seen a lot in in European fixtures with split strikers and a number ten that kind of ends up playing as a false nine type player. Side Ben Ram has done that role a lot, and actually, I think many of his best games at West Ham have come when he's been playing that role. Mohamed Kudus doing that just just immediately screams fun to me. Like I just think that's such a perfect 
role for him, playing behind a two like Mikel Antonio plus one forward or Antonio and Bowen or Corne and Bowen or Corne plus a striker. You know, we don't know who the strikers are going to be. And that's the last section of this podcast is going to be us talking about, about that. But um, what do you think about how that three, four, one, two could look maybe for this Europa League campaign that's coming up pretty soon now? Well, I think that's it, isn't it? I think even just zooming out a bit, I think the, the the main takeaway word is fun, right? He just is fun. Like, he's just fun to watch. Like, me and you have both spent hours watching footage of him to try and get a real grasp of what he could offer. And I think every time he gets on the ball, you're just like, whoa. He's like one of those players who are like, what's he going to do now? How, he's going to make something happen. Um, and I think in a season where there might be large swathes of games where where we might not see much of the ball. That fun is going to be important. But yeah, particularly in that 3 4 one, two, I think it could be super exciting. I mean, the sort of off-ball combinations, the movement, um, the ability to sort of both drag out wide and just completely split a defence apart. Um, and yeah whether that's him in the two or whether it's him in the one in the two as well. I mean, if you've got, if you've got the forwards that can split it apart and then the prospect of Kudus just charging through the middle. I love if, the idea of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if Antonio Bowen and Kudus are all fit and you're playing yeah. the one, two system in Europe, like those two going splitting ahead of him and just dragging the defense a little bit wider to create. Kudus just coming through. Yeah. It's just such, that's the one. Thought. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm excited and I, I can't wait to see him make his debut and even even the announcement video got me pumped. I mean that that little rap that they did, oof, I was getting I was getting excited. Sensational yeah. work from him. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant announcement, brilliant signing. One that's really exciting for West Ham. Um if you think about when we were at our best under David Moyes, it was that period with Jesse Lingard in the in the ten, having a player that can drive beyond Antonio and yeah, we've got a player like that back in the squad, which is going to offer us huge flexibility. And we've got a couple of more coming in by the looks. Um, one that's been spoken about a lot over the last uh, few days is Yuri Alberto. And I'm going to be completely honest. I know absolutely nothing about this guy. <laughs> but I've been hearing that you've been doing some podcasts recently, say Copper Club or, you know, yeah. talking about <laughs> yeah. South American football. You talking about South America? I would never have predicted that. Um <laughs> But tell me you know who this guy is and, and what, what he could bring to West Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's someone that's kind of, he'd been on my radar probably a couple of years now. And I mean, I think the first thing I'll say is that I think his goal scoring record is probably not why we're signing him. Um, anyone that has had a look since the rumours have come up might have looked and come away feeling a bit disappointed. And why are we looking to spend 20 million or so on this guy? And um I think what I will say is if you dig a little deeper and watch him stylistically and how he plays, I think I can see why we've decided on him of the sort of three players that we're three strikers uh, in Brazil that we've been linked to. Uh, the others being Pedro at Flamengo, um, who is of the three by far the most prolific. He's had more than 20 goals a season for the last two seasons. Um, and then Marcus Leonardo, who has also been linked with the move to Roma and is probably the most exciting of the three. He's the youngest and um, perhaps the most deadly in terms of his finishing in front of goal. But Yuri Alberto, I would say frame-wise, stylistically, in terms of the way that he likes to peel off into the left channel and receive long balls, um, is probably us looking to find someone who we might be able to mould into an Antonio type player. Um, I think as well, people will have looked at his age profile and gone, oh, well, he's 
he's um what 20 21 and Marcus Leonardo's younger and and scoring more goals than he is so we should definitely go for him but I think when you think of the age at which Mikel Antonio actually flourished into this sort of uh, powerhouse striker it, it took years for him to become that guy and, and he picked it up late in his career so and it was only really because of the coaching of Moyes and, and that sort of tutelage. So if you can bring in a striker who is 10 years younger, arguably, than Antonio was before he turned into this player and get Moyes to tutor, to tutor him in the same way that he got the best out of Antonio with Antonio still at the club for him to learn off, I can see how we might just want to roll the dice and, and try and take this gamble. Um, like I say, he he loves peeling off into that left half space and always offers up to receive the ball as an outlet. Um, similarly to Antonio, I'd say his technical ability is perhaps a bit lacking. His first touch is always a little bit ropey, um, but he really throws himself about. His off-the-ball work in terms of A, his movement into the channels is really impressive. Uh, he has a good burst of pace. Like he's, he's quite often, he'll sort of jog or run slowly in one direction before quickly sprinting in the opposite direction through the gap between the fullback and the centre-back and trying to get on a through ball, which if I think about having Kudus and Paqueta there, they, they're the sort of players that can spot that run. Um, and Ward Prowse, to be fair, we've seen his weight of pass is good. Um, so I think someone who yeah can offer an outlet, has good off-ball movement, and then out of possession, he's a dogged presser, he chases everything down. Um, so I think you, you're sort of seeing the little stylistic things that maybe as a striker just sort of as the word is maybe not the most attractive but as a striker in terms of what David Moyes wants his striker to do I think he has the potential to be good because I think if you think of what Antonio needs to bring to this team it's not 20 goals a season it's 20 goals for Jared Bowen and another 10 goals for a few other attackers because his role is not to score the goals. It's to create the space for the players around him to score the goals. And Antonio does that so well. And I think based on well, Alberto's... And movement, to score the goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, yeah. But um, without Antonio, you don't get Bowen having a 20-goal season like he did. Um, yeah. So I think if you look at it, in a sort of broader way and accept that, yes, he's not going to come in and bang 20 goals a season straight away. But if you give him time, um, I think he could, could do that, um, that role that Antonio's done um, just in terms of his sheer physicality, effort levels and sort of awareness of when to hit the channels and when to drag out wide to create space in central areas for his teammates. So yeah, by, by no means the finished product, but I see the stylistic similarities there, which, which is enough for me to think why we might be interested. Yeah. I think I'm obviously, I know very little about the guy, as I said, but I think it, it's a positive to, for me hearing you talk about stylistic similarities more than 15 goals or 20 goals. You know, I, I, it's better to hear about a player that could fit in terms of what Moyes asked his strikers to do than it is hearing about a player who scores loads of goals. We've, we've rolled the scores, loads of goals, dice a million times and it's not happening. So it's much better. I'd suggest if we're looking at players who we can mold into the right kind of striker for us, than than trying to crowbar someone who scores lots of goals into a system that maybe doesn't get, get the best out of of them or a system that they're not able to to, to flourish in for, for whatever reason um another player that's been linked a lot and someone that we've written about previously but i'm gonna ask you to talk about because i haven't seen him in a little while is mm-hmm. um hugo ekatike I, I remember his 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 days at ram i was quite excited about him then but i thought this is a give it some time 
player. He's not really filled out and he's a bit spindly and I'm not really sure how it would go in the Prem. Um, he's had a year at PSG and um, he's back in the rumour mill. And is that something that you feel positive about or have we not made enough progress since the last time we spoke about him? Yeah, I think I'm still on the positive side. I think PSG are PSG. And I think particularly at the time when he signed, it was always going to be difficult for anyone really to get into that side. I mean, it's a side of Galacticos, like getting into a side with Messi and Mbappe and Neymar as a 21-year-old, 20-year-old striker is, is always going to be a challenge. Um, so I kind of... I'm, I try, I'm trying not to read too much into the PSG stint. Um, I think... If you look at his Ram stint and we just assume that given that he's still young, he can kind of just, we can just treat it as that potential still there. I think, again, stylistically, I can see why we'd be interested. Um, like you said, he's probably not filled out as much as we would hope, but that's something that as long as the player's committed, you can kind of deal with yourself in the club, like just get him on a weight program, make sure he's training every day and and he's on a yeah you're strictly monitoring his sort of strength and and rehab and stuff and you can easily get him to fill that frame that's that's what the coaches and the the strength and conditioning coaches are there for um and I can see sort of him coming from that Ram side to a West Ham side where I mean obviously you're the tactic guy but I would say there's definitely some similarities in terms of the way they played in the sort of mid to low block very narrow look to hit out into the wide channels carry forward and Ekatiwa K was crucial to that um, and if you think he's already used to conduct carrying out those tactical sort of um, setups, uh, and often he would be receiving the ball out in that left half space where where Ram would go long to, and he'd bring it down. I think you marry that with the notion that if he does fill out in front of goal, he's clinical. Um, he's a, he's a very good finisher. His movement sort of across anywhere across the front three, really, but his movement from that left half space and the sort of diagonal runs he makes into central areas would be great. I think particularly if Bowen's carrying the ball to to be able to play into the path of Ekatike, who can run onto the ball and then finish it, would be brilliant. Um, and I think as well, yeah, frame wise. I mean, if he does fill out, he's six foot two. He has the sort of movement, similar movement to Antonio. So if you can get a sort of Antonio who's three inches taller, if we can get him at the same levels of strength, then you really could be onto something. So I think, again, it's another investment in sort of the potential. I don't expect him to come in and and be a starter straight away, but I don't think that's what we need right now, given that Antonio's A, so crucial to this. B, we've just signed Kudus when we don't need to play long ball and potentially can play him or Bowen up top. Um, I think having someone like Ekatike who we can bed in in Europe, give him some minutes here and there. He could also play on the left wing where Ben Rama is and, and sort of carry in off that left side and sort of interchange with the striker. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be really keen um, on, on, on him as an investment project. And I think going back to a side where they're sort of the underdog and they're going to play rapid counter-attacking football that gets the best out of his pace and movement in behind as opposed to a PSG side who are possession dominant and there's not much space in behind because all the pre- all the teams are sitting off in a low block and there's nowhere for him to run into. Um, I think could see him get back to the levels that he was putting up around. I think the big thing for me is that it's just nice to see us talking about, it's, it's nice to be talking about strikers that mimic the you know the same kind of movements as, Ant- as Antonio, potentially the right kind of build, the, you know, the right kind of strikers to maybe thrive under, under David Moyes, the third person who's been 
thrown around for as long as I could from since the beginning of time. Uh, <laughs> I know where this is going. It feels like <laughs> um, is Yusuf and Nasiri. And I don't care what you have to say, Cal, but those corners are just going to be too much fun if <laughs> <laughs> if that guy yeah. signs. I mean, what kind of land of the giants nonsense are we going to be pulling? Yeah, the corners his league. You've got and Nasiri, Thomas <laughs> Suchek, Kurt Zuma, Naifa Gerd. Dinos <laughs> in there as well. It's just ridiculous at that point. So many targets. Um, yeah, marginal yeah, gains. FG. I'm not sure. I'm not. That's, that one seems to have gone a little bit quiet recently. But I, I, yeah, I, honestly, I just do not give a shit. I just want to see the corners. That's 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 all I'm here for at, at that point. And, and and my only sage analysis on it is that he did a decent job playing at the spearheading of four one four one at the World Cup for Morocco. The four one four one that I would shut up about as being the the model for how you should look to play a four one four one when you're a counter attacking team. Um so if that's our system, then you know maybe he's a decent guy to to be taking a look at. Um right. I apologize. Well, no, Cal can apologize now. That's all right, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that we're, we're a day late this week. Um, but we should be, we should be coming to you pretty sharp. It's next week because we plan on Friday. So I'll, I'll, I'll speak to Cal after we finish recording and see what we can do for you <laughs> to make sure we get an episode out in a timely fashion um, next week. But I think um, the game that's coming up for everyone listening to this, or you might be listening to it just afterwards, this Luton game is going to tell us an awful lot. Uh, about this season and it will be when we when we can start to break into what the season might look like for West Ham because we've had a few games so far where we've done a very good job playing a very similar brand of football in in, in all three and we will be forced to change that to some degree against Luton and, and how we do when we when we try and be a little bit more malleable will tell us a lot about where we might be targeting um, in terms of a league finish um, this season. Last thing to mention is, of course, um, if you're still about and you enjoyed this, then um, we would very much appreciate your support so we can keep the pod going. And um, if you would be so kind, uh, please head over to analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members and um, and have a look at setting up a subscription. We work on a pay-what-you-want basis. Um, there will be articles up there from time to time. You know, I think we were both expecting to be able to do more at this point, but you've been away on holiday and... Uh, I won't even break into what's been going on in my life over the last couple of weeks. It's been crazy. So, um, and yeah, of course, I'm sure as people are, are aware, you know, we've been dealing with transfer market, uh, transfer window stuff and, and actually having some of our work going on the West Ham website, which has been crazy, uh, but also, also a little bit busy for us. Um, but yeah, there'll be pieces going up there from time to time, but also I think it, we see it as a, you know, as a support the podcast thing as well. This is the, this is the central thing that we're going to be doing every week where you can catch our, whatever takes we have on, on, on West Ham week to week and, and whatever analysis we, we can pull out um, looking at, at what David Moyes is doing. So, um, yeah, it would be much appreciated. It helps us cover the cost of, of producing this because it does cost us quite a lot of money. Um, and thank you so much for, for tuning in. Uh, leave us a review. Five stars preferably. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and, yeah, we'll catch you all next week. Thanks, Cal. Nice one. Cheers, guys. See you all later. Podcast Network.